This episode is brought to you by MSW Nutrition and Lounge, a partner in the How Do You Health Network. For decades, I've struggled with various gut and autoimmune issues, which have forced me to alter my life and career. Within the last year, though, after undergoing numerous blood tests, I've discovered that a majority of my health problems, they've been linked to vitamin and mineral deficiencies. Because I am now able to see what I was deficient in, I can also supplement against those deficiencies with the proper daily vitamins and minerals, as well as receive weekly IVs that are specific to my needs. This has changed the game for me. Today, not only do I feel like a completely new person, my ability to focus in life and business has increased, my athletic performance is better now than when I was a collegiate athlete, and most importantly, the relationship I have with myself, as well as the people I care about most, they are all thriving, and I'd love for you to feel the same way. So no matter where you are at in your health journey, whether it is scheduling your blood work or supplementing for your health needs, the beautiful part is the community at MSW and How Do You Health, they will listen to you and help you figure out the best path for you. So go to howdoyouhealth.com and use code THRIVE15 for 15% off all products and services. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's episode is with Kristen Weitzel, founder of Warrior Woman Mode. She is a health and high performance expert, master breathwork guide, nutrition specialist, certified fitness trainer, and cold exposure coach with a focus on guiding women to optimal health. Taking action is in her nature, and she spends a lot of her time coaching females to create lasting change and build stronger, healthier futures by taking full control of their biology, food, and fitness. Her achievements as a brand strategist, entrepreneur, and global marketer for Fortune 500 brands have given her the ability to travel extensively and continually discover how our daily habits and behaviors affect the way we show up in the world. Kristen also hosts the WellPower podcast, which blends health and wellness subject matter expertise, inspiring guests, and Kristen's trademark wit and wisdom to lead clients and listeners alike. This podcast allows Kristen to share with a broader audience just how far we can go in pursuit of optimal performance. As a progressive voice, dynamic leader, and proponent of biohacking, she questions how far the human body can go and helps people take it there. Kristen's background and experience speaks for itself, and I'm so excited for y'all to tune into this episode. So please give it up for Kristen Weitzel. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. It is Thrive Thursday here in Austin, Texas. And today, I'm very excited to be sitting next to Miss Kristen Weitzel. And I want to kick it off right away because we had an event last week, and it was New Year's Day. And she jumped right in the ice bath. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody as happy as her. I literally have photos on my camera of you with a huge smile on while you're in the ice. Meanwhile, when I do it, I'm jumping out and I'm freezing and my face uh, is not with a huge smile on it. Even though I like to say that I have a smile on my face most of the time, the ice bath isn't it. So my first question for you is how the heck did you get to a point in your life where getting in ice brings 
that big of a smile to your face. Yeah, it's wild and it's true. And um, thank you so much for having me here on Thrive on Life podcast. I'm super stoked to be here with you in person in Austin, um, which is my new home, as you know. But uh, cold, yeah, let's talk about how the aversion to cold that people have. And I'll tell you a quick story, which I think has a lot to do with why I love it so much. Um, for anyone who's listening, who's maybe not done an ice bath or first timing, there's something about not being nervous is an important piece of it. I always say the anticipation of the ice bath is worse than the ice bath itself. But um, for me, I had been doing different kinds of cold exposure and cold plunging for a very long time. And then when I took XPT certification, which you are familiar with, it's like breath and cold exposure with Laird Hamilton and Gabby Reese. It was a two-part training, the XPT training. So you do some stuff with weights and then you do weights in the pool and then you do cold and hot contrast. And in the weights in the pool segment of the day, which was first, I was with a bunch of all of these athletes, predominantly male. And the real truth is they were just crushing me. Times underwater, amount of weight they could lift, not having as much panic response underwater because 40 pound weights and water well over your head feels really scary to me, as many people it might feel scary to. And when I got out of the pool, a little bit teary-eyed, thankfully no one can tell because you're in a pool, and feeling like, okay, I, I worked really hard. I did the best that I could, but it also was a little bit intense. I decided in that moment, because I knew what was coming next, is that we were going to do ice and we were going to do contrast. And in that space, when we walked in, I decided two things and this sort of framed the rest of my experience with cold. The first thing I decided is that I was going to go first before any of the other guys who had just crushed me in the pool so that I could be like ballsy, female, going first, warrior woman. And the second thing was that I was going to do it like a Zen master. And I had done lots of different kinds of cold and I had finally connected the dots on breath and cold and how to work those together. And so I would say a little bit of my like alpha competitive edge was the thing that said, okay, I'm going to do these two things and I'm committing to it. And so much like you, like before you approach the barbell, before you do anything in life, the decision you make mentally, really the way you vision it, it can lead into the most positive outcomes. So I got in the ice that day. I went first. And I got in like a Zen master and it was sort of the way that I could lead into keeping up with the Joneses, if you will, of the other athletes, lots of them professional athletes there and getting in the ice and having lots of men and a couple of other women that were there be like, oh, maybe that girl was a little bit like has some things to learn in the pool, but holy shit, we really have to keep up with like, how is she doing that? And there's something that sort of feels good about that conquering, right? That mental toughness that you bring to the table. And that was a place where I had the biggest turnover from what I was doing before, which was getting in cold and being cold and feeling a little nervous about it to just saying, okay, I'm going to approach this from moment one without anticipation or hesitation. And I'm going to do this better than anyone else, right? And that better is of course subjective, but just for your own being, for your own self to just say, I can Listen, it sounds woo in some way, but it's like, this is the same thing. You approach the barbell, you approach the ice, you approach the sauna, you approach challenges and stresses in life. I think as we walk in and stand in front of those challenges and say, okay, I got this, that that mental capacity just, you change, you change cellularly. Belief is half the battle, yeah. as they say. Yeah. And I think a lot of people defeat themselves before they do anything. And I don't want to throw my mom under the bus here, but she put a DM on one of the times that I got in the ice and she had mentioned, I could never do that. And it was funny. I cracked a joke afterwards. I literally was like, go to the grocery store, buy a couple bags of ice, fill up the tub, sit in the tub. It's not rocket science. So it's, it got me thinking like, where do other people do that 
in their life. And that's one of the rabbit holes I've wanted to go down today because I know that you do a lot of wellness coaching, but a lot of coaching for women. And one of the things that I was interested in learning from the male perspective, because for males, again, like they're going to show their cards outright. They're going to go into the pool, show that they can lift heavy and do all these things. And for women, I'd love to understand more of where is that mentality, like the opposite of what you did is most of the time what I've seen from women. And where does it stem in their other parts of their life that maybe the ice could literally unlock that alpha version for them in other areas? Yeah, for sure. It's a great question. And I think the one other thing I want to mention that I think is an important not just physiological difference between men and women when we're, when we're contemplating the cold or dealing with getting in an ice bath and that challenge. There are also many men that get in the ice and they are muscling their way through it, yeah. right? There is this like, whether they're alpha or not, like they're like the, I'm going to do this because I need to have to competitive spirit. I'm a strong guy, et cetera. I'm getting close to 2000 people on the ice, men and women. And quite often I see males they're muscling it. And I respect anyone who gets in the ice, right? There's so many benefits in whatever way you do it. But I also have a really strong belief system, which is you need to find the moment of surrender. That's where you get the lessons. And that's where you manage, learn how to manage stress better because you're surrendering to what the ice is offering, which by the way, it's going to be cold and it's not going to stop being cold. So muscling through the ice, you know, and the sidebar on this is like, I love Joe Rogan as much as the next person but I want someone who's in the ice for such a long time to have that moment of surrender. And I'm not quite sure that he did. And I think that that's something we should be thinking about males versus females. I see women do a little bit more surrender, right? That surrender might be in a place of there's some fear in there. There's some other things in there, but. Well, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because in college, like if you're a collegiate athlete, you've gotten in ice most yep. of the time. Like, so I got in ice in college and the difference between me getting in ice after a game or after practice versus the way that I get in the ice now is completely different. And the other day, it was pretty interesting at Squatch, there was these two like six foot plus guys jacked and they got in the ice and I don't know how long they stayed in there, but they were just like cracking up at, they hadn't done it in a while. And they basically were like making fun of themselves. And then I got in and their statement was literally like, you just got in like it was nothing. And it got me thinking, I was just like, at this point, it's nothing to me to get into it. It might be something to me to stay past a certain point, but to get into it, it's nothing. And bringing back to the point of when I was in college, though, I had set that intention, just like you had talked about when you first jumped on here. The intention when I got in college was, all oh, this is going to suck, and I'm just doing this to help my knee or help my shin or it, the conversation of helping me mentally and surrendering to it was never there versus I love what you're talking about because now when I get into it, there's no resistance, as I would say. There's actually resistance if I haven't gotten in an ice bath in a couple of days, I feel like something's off. For people to finally get to that point, men or women, is there a certain time frame that they have to do? Is there a certain amount of times they have to get in an ice bath? When you talk about surrendering, how does someone get there? I think I got there naturally just by like hanging around people and really just testing my own limits. But for somebody that is on the other end of this, listening or watching, and doesn't necessarily know what you mean by surrender, yeah. how do you guide people into that? Yeah, for sure. So when I'm coaching people, I watch for this moment that I'm I'm going to keep using the phrase until someone gives me credit for coining it, which is, I call it the turnover. 
And what I see from putting so many bodies in, in the ice is that there is a moment that two things are happening. Both this sort of mental toughness, release and surrender is partially driven by the physiological response of our body shunting the blood to our core away from our periphery, as well as getting our neck in. So people are always like, I don't want to get my shoulders in. I want to get my neck in. But what I try to explain to most people is the sooner you get your neck in, up to your neck, the better your body has this mammalian dive response. And it slows your heart rate. And it actually makes your capacity to have that turnover moment and to be able to be feeling good even or okay and safe and fine in the ice, it drives it faster. And so the turnover to me is something that it's very different for every person because every body is different, but typically happens between, I would say 45 and 90 seconds. And you literally, I've seen so many people do this. It's like, you can see it almost in the way people's eyes shift and you can see it in the way the release of the musculature and the body happens. And it's literally a physiological shift as well as a mental shift that's happening in that moment. And so you know, I have a lot of anecdotal speculations around sometimes people have a longer turnover if they've had water trauma or physical trauma in their life. That's a really intense type type of trauma because I get to know my clients really well. And so I, I see sort of that holding on and what that how that experience comes for them. And that turnover is a really important piece, right? That finding that sweet spot. And the way to be able to guide yourself into that, if someone's self-guiding or if, you, know, you can be working with a coach as well, is really by using breath. My number one piece of advice for people who are new to this is get in the water and just say to yourself, I'm going to commit to a minute no matter what, right? It's important for us to say because we are on, you know, a public conversation piece right here, a platform that I'm not a medical doctor. And also you need to make sure if you have contraindications like diabetes, pregnancy, et cetera, things that won't work with the ice that you know it's okay to go in. But then once you're okay to go in, like commit to a minute because I... Many people get out in those first 30, 30 seconds. Like I don't lose anyone. People don't get out in 30 seconds because I'm coaching them and more or less, I'm not going to let them get out. But 30 seconds, if you're getting out in that initial shock response mm -hmm. phase, you're missing this beautiful moment where you actually say, whoa, I didn't think I could do this for longer than a minute. And then I've had men and women stay in for three, four, five minutes, right? And they acclimatize quickly because that shift happens, that turnover happens. And it's so cool to see. It's like when someone, land, I don't know if you've ever been skydiving, but someone comes off skydiving off the plane and they're like, oh my God, I'm here, I'm alive. And you just, they feel really, I've done it. I mean, it feels incredible. You feel like, I don't know, you just had the best sex of your life or whatever. Yeah. And so when you, when you have that moment in the ice, it's like, oh, the turnover happens. And then it even helps that parasympathetic response when you get out of the ice. So I'm a big believer in that. And once someone's had that moment, they remember it. And it's never as hard again as it was the first time they did the ice that way. I love first the term turnover. So mm -hmm. let's help coin that. But second, that you mentioned skydiving because you mentioned that the moment leading up to the ice is harder than actually being in the ice a lot of the times. The same thing with skydiving. Like the, <laughs> the moment you're in the plane is, for me, was way more scary totally. and way more fear-inducing when you're in this rickety plane than getting to the edge and jumping out and when you land and you're just like, man, that was awesome. Yeah. But the plane ride up was just like when you're getting into the ice. For most people at this point, Chris and I, it doesn't, once you get that turnover point so many times, like, it doesn't really phase me. I actually look forward to it because I know once I hit turnover, what that does for my body physically, mentally, and spiritually. And, and it's, it's going to happen for you so much more quickly. Yeah. I don't know if I like watched you from like from the get when you first got in the other day, but I'm sure for you, it happens in like 30 seconds. The, the longer, the more adept you come to the ice and more like 
acclimatized. I love, how you, you yeah. I love how you gave a range because I've noticed in our friend Emily was in the sauna with us the other day and she got in the ice when I was already in there. And I think she had set it for like, she wanted to do a minute and she ended up staying three minutes with me. And it was interesting because if I don't know much about breath work, I know that if you focus on controlling your breath, it kind of takes the surrounding shock away. So when she got in, she was really like shocked and like, oh my God, there's no way I could stay in any longer. And I was like, literally just like block everything out, just focus on your breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth. If that is cool with you or in through your nose, whatever you want to do, just focus on it. And she ended up staying in for the three minutes that day and same thing with Aaron my wife like she was very hesitant so squatch I think was the first time she's ever gotten in an ice bath and this goes back almost last a year now she set the intention of this is going to be scary this is going to be hard but then she got in and it was just like once she hit the turnover point and I think for people that I like how you just acknowledge that it's probably faster once you get used to it I have noticed for people it's like that minute and a half so I have been saying like get to the minute and a half yeah and then you're going to see the shift scientifically, do you know what is happening in your body when that happens, when it is a turnover? I can only speak from my perspective. I get in there and then the first things that get cold are like my hands or my toes and whatever. And then you start having this mindset of like, I can't stay in here. Like my, <laughs> my hands are freezing or my feet are freezing. Then you get into a minute and you're like, oh, I could probably stay another five minutes if I really wanted to. What is happening in the body at that point? So like what's happening, the first thing that happens is that your body says, okay, cool, we need to protect the primary organs. Like uh, it's not that your arms and legs don't matter, but like your heart, your liver, your spleen, your kidney, your everything is in your central trunk, right? And so all of the blood is going to rush from the peripheral organs, the legs and the arms, and it's going to go into the central core of the body, into your trunk, because it's trying to keep your body temperature warm and it's trying to protect the most important organs. Like your body kind of knows you could cut off your arms and the legs and like you still be able to live, you know? And so all that blood is going to the the trunk and that's why you get sometimes tingly fingers or you're cold and your, your fingers and feet get cold. Like some people are like, I have to take my feet out, right? Which is like cool if you have to take your feet out. But that's the first thing that's happening. And then you know, your body's starting to make adaptations in that moment. It's trying to figure out, this is another important thing to talk about, the minimum effective dose for you. Because I can sit in the cold now, like 33, 34 degrees for about 10 minutes before I have an intense shiver response, right? Which we can talk about that too, why shiver response is good and why you don't want to also put yourself in hypothermia, right? Like no one should necessarily go in the first time like 10 minutes, right? We want a minimum effective dose, not point of diminishing returns. That's really important with the ice. So physiologically, the, the blood shunting is a big deal. That's also helping you learn how to manage it meaning you're, that's part of the turnover experience. And then the second thing is your, your body is just getting used to what it feels like when you hit the cold and you take that first breath, right? <gasps> that breath is a sympathetic breath. So it's starting to go into fight or flight. And then what we need to do, this is why and breath is always, it goes hand in glove with all the cold, is if you want to manage the ice bath in the very best way, my strong opinion is, especially in the world we live in now where we're all in sympathetic heightened states quite often, more often than we are calm and chill, especially what's going on with, with you know, viruses and, and stress and media, is understanding that you can use the breath to reverse engineer the nervous system. And so that's like a nerdy way of saying like you have your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic. We have fight or flight, which is sympathetic, and we have parasympathetic, which is rest, digest, socialize, and have sex. And so those two systems are, you know, those two parts of your autonomic nervous system are going to drive your behavior and drive your breath and drive your heart rate and all of that. 
So you did this beautiful thing of telling this woman, just focus on her breath. And one step even further than that is just focusing on the longest exhales possible. Because when we exhale, we slow our heart rate. And when we exhale, we push ourselves towards parasympathetic. And the more we use our nose, like nasal in, nasal out, we're calming the system even more. And so what you're doing is you're telling your body by controlling your breath in that way that things are fine, that you're actually okay. And when you do that, you can shift your nervous system state along with that blood that's being shunted. And then that's what actually is changing your mental capacity and your mental state in that moment to say, oh, I'm okay. Actually, I'm okay. So it's not, it's less about the thought and it's more about the nervous system response because the nervous system response happens way faster than we can think something, right? It's sending signals yeah. rapid pace to your brain. I mean, if, if that wasn't the case, we'd put our hand on our hot stove <laughs> totally. and, and we'd be like, da, da, da. <laughs> totally. totally. So you know to pull it away. Yeah. And so those, those components together are what make it so amazing. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Kristen. I hope you're loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Kristen Weitzel. You get out of the ice bath and you go to sleep that night and your brain and your body is like adapting and realizing, oh, I got this. This is where the mental toughness component comes in. This is where the adaptation comes in, right? We are adapting to a stressor. It's the same thing we do in the gym. We like micro tear a muscle, it repairs, we adapt to a stressor, we get stronger. Same thing in the ice, same thing in the sauna, right? Same thing in that beautiful sauna that you guys have. That's adaptation and that's at its finest. And I think I want to go back to the female question you asked, which is important, which is, Generally speaking, and I'm generalizing because this is not true for all women, but generally speaking, women come with more trepidation to the cold. And I'm not 100% sure what that's about, but I do know a little of it has to do with a lot of men have had collegiate sports at a high enough level where they're putting them in ice baths. Some women as well. And, and they'll be like, oh, I played soccer pro, like in college at a high level. And I just, I got in for 20 seconds because I busted my knee or my leg or whatever. And even, even then with sports, mm -hmm. I... I be interested in the number of males that play outdoor sports versus women that play outdoor sports in the cold. Because like growing up, I would be at soccer tournaments all weekend in freezing cold wearing a t-shirt because like nobody wanted to be looked at as the kid that is wearing a jacket on the, on the field. Like, yeah. so we were just innately had to just tough it out for that game. Whether that's good or bad is negligible. I'm just 
curious into for sure why in in adulthood does it seem like the cold is a little bit more fear inducing to sure. one gender versus the other. Yeah. And then the other thing is like, let's be real, right? If I'm putting CrossFit athletes or like I've put ex-cons, I've put people in coming in from recovery, really big, strong guys. Like I've put lots of people in the ice in a sense when I'm, sp- I'm speaking in this case, it's like, I'm talking about males, physiological males that are like, a woman is putting, this is like socialized. Like we can, we can talk about it or not. This is not a sexist conversation. It's like our gender bias conversation. It's like, I'm putting a man in the ice. I'm also, they're also gonna have a little different response to me than they might with you. Yeah. Some guy is gonna, a big tough guy. Like, I mean that with love is going to get in the ice and think I can't wuss out of this. There's a woman here who's coaching me through and you know, they may look up at me like with the eyes. You have to have seen this with people where they, yeah. they just look at you with the gaze like, oh, is this really okay? Is everything going to be all right? I, <laughs> you got me, right? And it's like, that's when I'm like, eye gaze. We're going to just, I'm going to stare at this person and hold sp- safe space for them so they know. But even if a man is doing that, who's like a big, strong man, they're going to a little bit of the muscling through it and a little bit of that, like, I'm going to do this because I said I'm going to do this and I'm going to show that I can do this. And I liken this to like in the investing game, when you want to talk about cryptocurrency or investments, I one time went to Chris Kresser, who's like a fabulous medical functional med guy and said, what's the story with investing? Like guys do it so well. I feel like all my male friends are doing it. Why do I feel like I'm, I'm short on this? And he was like, let me just tell you, I invested the first few times because like, I was like, oh, Danny's doing that thing. I'm just going to like put my money there. Like, I don't know. Like there's a little more shooting from the hip and there's a little bit less risk aversion. Like women tend to be slightly more risk averse, like nervous about the risk. And that's because our brain chemistry is such that we want to take in the whole community and all the perspectives and all the things to make sure that we are like, okay, is this the right decision for the whole collective? And that's just like a natural difference between our physiology and our brain chemistry as men and women. And so I think that some of that shows up. I will also say this other really interesting thing to me, which was four or five years ago when I really started getting into putting lots of people and coaching them in ice and breath. I thought the young, vibrant women that were like, I want Instagram stories of me in the ice. We're going to just crush it. I was living in Hollywood at the time and these high profile execs and movie producers who might be slightly older females, we're going to come and be like, maybe just not handle it as well. And it was the polar opposite. And it's because the the amount of stress that the women who are producers running the show and having all these things that they had to play it cool for to keep everything running on set or in the movie or in the television show, they already had all this stress. They had to adapt to other types yeah. of stress. So they would get in and be like, yo, I got this. You know, and I was like fascinated by that. Whereas maybe someone who's like younger or just doing it for the gram or whatever, they just less stress adaptation in their overall life. Maybe because they're younger, maybe because it's just, you know, they're softer, whatever. The word that I have equated it to is resilient. Mm -hmm. Like the older women are more resilient in life. Granted, they've been through more in life. So they have that resiliency. Also, I would say they were probably in a day and an age where resiliency was taught Whereas we're reducing the amount of resiliency people have, unfortunately. And the other reason I want to bring up this word is you mentioned adaptation. And when I think of adaptation, I'm just like, okay, well, how does this tub help me adapt in other areas of my life? Because one of our goals here at Thrive is to challenge people to step out of their comfort zone. And if they don't understand how it's going to apply to their own life, like if they're not working out like I am, they might be like, well, this conversation isn't for me. Yeah. That's where the adaptation part for what you just mentioned for these high level execs, this amplifies everything you do in your entire life. And I'll give you a very clear example for anybody. Like I just went to Sedona and in Sedona, 
one of the days, I think it was like 35 when we woke up and there's these beautiful mountains. And Aaron and I went out and we jog hiked six miles in the mountains at 35 degrees and I wore no shirt. And it was awesome. The sun like beaten down. I just wore gloves and my shorts and no shirt and a hat. And probably two years ago, three years ago, prior to me doing ice consistently, there's no chance that I could have had that high level experience that I had where I'm running around in this cool environment, feeling completely free. No chance that I could actually do that two or three years ago, only because I hadn't adapted enough or been resilient enough to do that. So I'd love for you to talk about how with your clients or anybody you've worked with, what things have they noticed in their corporate lives or their relationships, things that the ice have tangibly helped? Because I think for the listener, that's really what I want to convey and not sound like a kook or a woo-woo of like this, this ice really does something for you. And I think that comes with like practical examples for them. Totally. And like science aside, because there's tons of science, like, first of all, let's also say you can cold shower, you can cryo, you can ice bath. Awesome. We typically find that cryo and cold showers are going to be much more about the short-term benefits of managing like sleep and stress and like some muscle recovery at the gym in some ways. And that the long-term benefits of an ice bath are 10X, right? Sauna is like this too. You want that kind of exposure of submersion or being in the heat a long time. But science aside, everybody getting cold in your life changes everything in your life. And you can say that's like, we don't want to go woo, but the reality is we don't get in the ice to get good at doing ice baths. We get in the ice to get good at life. And that's so important to recognize and that every any executive, any mom, anyone who's doing anything across the board can benefit from cold. As long as you don't have a contraindication or some disease that doesn't let you go in cold, it can change everything. It's game-changing understanding what capacity you have to work with other people because you can work within your own body. It's talking about mental toughness. It's about how do I utilize the experience of cold to know exactly what you did, that it's going to improve your physical fitness. I'm just meaning like your capacity to do things like that, right? You had a peak experience that you couldn't have had if you hadn't had some exposure to cold in some way. Because I hate to say this, I say this for men and women and anyone who's listening to this show, we're getting soft, we're getting soft. We're eating crappy. We're like spending time going from the acclimatized, the like climate controlled car to the house, to the heated resort, seats. to the heated seats, the whatever, like we're getting soft. And so this is not how we were designed to become resilient, right? We have to become anti-fragile. And the only way to do that, we have to stretch a little to be outside the box for our body to create adaptation. And so I will also say that a lot of the females that I'm working with, when they get, the better they get it cold, the more they're like, okay, I'm going to rock up on that barbell and add an extra five or 10 pounds or pick up dumbbells that are 25 pounds for overhead presses when maybe they wouldn't have done that before. Warrior woman mode is my business. And so people are asking me questions about females versus males all the time. And I have to make generalizations about this, right? It's like, I'm all worried about cancel culture and I don't want to do that. But it's like, Men will walk up to a barbell and they can slap weights on where they're like, I'm close to failure, but they're going to overguess the weight they can rep. And a woman is going to underestimate the weight she's going to rep. Generally speaking, we're not talking about pro CrossFit athletes who know yeah. their numbers, right? It's just like how you're going to walk up and deal with risk and what your background experience is if you've ever lifted heavy weights. So, you know, I tell women all the time, this is coming from like Stacey Sims, who's, you know, 10 plus years before me 
crushing off to women. You have to lift heavy shit. We have the capacity to do it and it's relative. It doesn't mean you have to deadlift 400 pounds. Just what's heavy for you because that's your adaptation. And so the ice directly translates to that lift. And so there's so much confidence building ability. And the other thing I will say for females, and this is not that it doesn't apply to males, but because socialization and the way that we look in the mirror, this is the soapbox I stand on. A lot of the women I work with that come to me, we're selling ourselves short and the person we're selling ourselves short to the most is the reflection, whether that's in the mirror or metaphorically, we're standing in our kitchen and we're shaming ourselves and we're feeling restricted about things and we're saying we can't do the thing, we can't do hard things. And here's what I'm here to tell every woman, every man in the world as well, but we can do hard things. But if you're not practicing doing hard things, you won't get there as easily. And so the ice is gonna translate to how you train. The ice is gonna translate into how you work with other people You want a real team building activity for your people in corporate America? How about shaking it up a bit and putting them all on the ice? Because number one, they conquer. They feel like they have higher capacity. They have literally a physiological oxytocin dump. When they're together, you're like bonding. Everybody feels like, oh my God, we've conquered this thing together. It changes the culture of your office and your workspace. It shifts how people think and look at each other, especially employees or people who are working together with like a little friction. Like, I don't know if I like that guy or that woman or it's tough to work with them. Like you put people in a different environment with something that is, how do we conquer this together? And it's like, it just shifts everything, you know? And then the last thing to talk about is high level executives and high level performers are dealing with a lot of nervous system issues. They're living in sympathetic in such a big way that it's unhealthy and burnout can happen. And so in many cases, we have to think and look about what the allostatic load, what the given day's stress load is like. But in many cases, you can get in the ice. And when you get out, you actually have a nervous system reset. You have this parasympathetic rebound, which is like, okay, I can exhale for the first time during my day. I can reset my emotionality. I can reset how I feel. And some of that comes from the breath because whether we want to own this or not own this, the truth is scientifically we can change our mindset by changing our breath. And the rest of it comes from being able to conquer and shift something that is a whole shift in in environment, right? We're in the cold, then we get out of the cold, parasympathetic rebound, helps us sleep better. All of that's going to build back to like being better in the workplace, a stronger manager, a better communicator, everything. So I know I'm a super nerd on cold exposure. I'm such a firm believer in it because to me, it's like contrast therapy or working with ice is the most acute practice, just meaning like in a refined short period of time where you have nothing else you can think about but being in the now. And how does that feel? And how do we correlate breath to that? And then how do we turn into the most badass individual version of ourself? And in the meantime, we're getting like tons of health benefits. It's like, why wouldn't you do ice? That's what, that's my question is like, why wouldn't you challenge yourself to the cold? Cause it's, ev- it's accessible to almost everyone. I love that. And this is the place to be as nerdy as you can be because <laughs> I mean, you're preaching to the choir here. I just yeah. literally just bought a book called, I forget it's sauna something you inspired me because when we were in the sauna last weekend and we were talking about all of this, I started realizing that I wanted to learn more about the science behind it all because for the past probably two or three years, I've been experimenting. I'm a learner by doing. So I just do it and then I start seeing the differences, how it feels to me and those around me. And then if it's for me, then I start like diving into blogs, podcasts, books. Um, So that's where I'm at in my journey. And there's so many ways I can go with this conversation, but 
You should also just say the stats, like 300%, le- you know, better all-cause mortality goes down. Like there's so many things that change in male and female bodies. Most of the research is on men, but we're working on that. Come but- on, women, get in the ice. Let's go. <laughs> it's not about the women in the ice. It's about the people who are, the doing, people the that are doing the research. But and hey, that, you know, if, if people, the cool thing is people can self-research nowadays. You have the aura, you have the whoop, you have different yep. ways that you can like self-regulate and you just got to put yourself out there and put the data out there. And that's something that I was literally about to jump into, which is you mentioned gaining confidence through it. But you also mentioned how like men can like give puppy eyes during it. So for me, the biggest experience (laughs) that I've had with ice is reducing the ego and making me more calm in my relationship. And I Mm. wonder, again, this is my personal experience, speaking with my wife, having difficult conversations in life. That's what I've realized has helped me the most. It's reduction of the ego the reduction to you're nothing when you get in the ice. The ice feels the same to most people. Mm -hmm. It's cold. Mm -hmm. It's a great equalizer. It's the equalizer. And no matter whether you're a woman or a male, like it's going to break you down. And for women, it could build that confidence up. But for males, I want to advocate getting into it to really break you down and meet your maker to make you realize that like, damn, there's so much more to all of this than we really know. And to the point that you made earlier, of essentially like we are miracles our bodies are miracles like what's going on in our body you don't necessarily have to understand it but just know that when you get in that ice what you are feeling is going to have an effect later on down the line that's one of the coolest things for me so the next thing that i want to jump into is kind of what have been the unexpected changes, whether it's in yourself or with your clients that you might not have noticed because I didn't get in the ice to improve my relationship (laughs) with myself and my wife. I got in the ice because I was like, everyone else is doing it. This seems like the athletic thing to do so that I can recover. And then you start seeing these unexpected things happen in your personal life and your professional life. What is something maybe that comes to mind that was unexpected that you didn't really research or, or see prior to the people getting into ice that you help? Yeah, I would say that the thing that was the most unexpected was sort of this micro trauma, trauma processing. When I was in LA, I was co-leading an eight week course. So I got to see people twice a week, pretty over the course of eight weeks, right? A decent level of frequency. Should also talk about frequency, but differences between men and women at some point. But, and when you get to see somebody go through eight weeks, twice a week of ice and different styles of ice plunging, because we would run them through different sort of like performance breathing and different protocols just to, you know, play with those variables. You got to see with men and women, you got to see people do some processing of emotional states and things that are going on to them. Someone who maybe is holding on to a lot of emotion from a breakup or something that happened to them in the past. And then really going from a space of being a person who's like in a gym environment, working on their health and well-being, trying to discover this ice, cold, heat, contrast, what what have you, to someone who's really like opening up and being able to speak more freely about their emotional systems, their state, or some of it I likened to the oxytocin and the norepinephrine and the things that are happening in brain chemistry that it makes a student or a client bond to me a bit. But then they feel open enough to be able to really speak to you about hey, this is going on in my life. I'm feeling these feels and really being in touch with like that core emotion in a way that 
maybe something like, you know, just plant medicine or a lot of talk therapy would get them to otherwise. So there, that to me was, I don't know if I would say surprising because I've seen so many beautiful things come from the cold, but it was like a really beautiful layer to watch unfold over time. It's why I try to do some, as much as possible, try to have work with people multiple times because there's a resonance that you can feel when you're working with a client frequently and there's a trust that gets built there. So someone can have some emotional release and some trauma release. I think that's, it's important, right? Our, someone said to me recently, you know, emotions are so important, but they're not always our friends. And so sometimes I think we have an emotional response. We need to let it leave our cells and our body and we don't need to like name it. We can say I'm sad or I'm feeling scared or I'm feeling whatever, but we don't need to like say, okay, it's because when I was 10, it, it's just like we need to get it out of the system because the body keeps score. And so this much more rapid fire when you're putting your body in an intense situation to be able to get to that, to that core. It like brings you back to your equilibrium. That's what it makes me yeah. think of. Like as a human, if I have a really stressful day and I don't know how to communicate that because that's what I'm bad at. And it's cool that you mentioned this, the micro trauma, because I think now that we're live here and I'm analyzing this, the reason that it helped me be better in my relationship is we get an argument or something happens and I don't process it that moment. Like, I feel like women are really good at like processing things a lot faster than a male is. It takes me two days, but in the moment I flip out because like the, the, the ego again shows itself but then two days later, I'm just like, oh, this is what I was feeling in that moment, or this is what it made me feel like. I feel like the ice, like you said, has made me speed that up. Or I love how you said not naming it because doing ice frequently, you'll be stressed and you won't even realize you're stressed. So that's the beauty of it is if you do it every other day or every day, whatever your schedule is, I just feel more relaxed and like I can think on the spot and process thing on the spot, whether it's business, personal, professional I also got an opportunity to see you speak the other day. And I just want to take a second to say to you that my experience of you and honor this is that you are quite okay with maybe feeling like, am I, is this okay to share this vulnerable thing? And you share the vulnerable thing in a really beautiful way in a really clearly communicated way. And sometimes I can sort of see that you're feeling okay with it. And sometimes I see that you feel like I'm being vulnerable right now. And, but I want to honor that in you because like surely you and Aaron are going to have arguments that are not like you and I are going to have discourse. But I see you as someone who has the ability to touch into their softer side, to share with a room of people vulnerability. And um, perhaps that's like more learned. And I also want to laugh about what you're saying because I had a partner for 11 years and we would have a big argument and I would just get uh, everything out of me and I would be able to let it go. And then he would hold on to things and two days later, send me an email in the subject line. He'd say, our discussion or our argument from Thursday. <laughs> and he would just have like five bullet points of the things he wanted to retort or to say back to me, but needed that processing time, right? Everyone's different, but like that just happened to be, that's a dynamic that happens often, I think. If I had to dissect it, it again goes back to women are protector of the community. So if you have kids, the ability to communicate is vital to keeping the family unit alive. Now for a male, it's like, if I'm going to go back to the hunter gatherer, I have to suppress everything until we have the meat to bring back, like <laughs> I, no pain, no gain. And just like, we were just taught to operate like that in every little thing. And like what your partner did is exactly one reason we don't text really Aaron and I at all is for that very reason is because the way that I communicate is very direct and it'll be taken, she'll process it in a different way. And then I won't know how to like communicate back that like, no, this is, and then a day or two later, it's bullets or things like that, whatever argument we got in 
to because I'm like, oh, now I can process like this is why I was an asshole or this is what I was thinking about when we were having a discussion on this. I just couldn't process it at the time. The podcast, one of the reasons that I started this, a lot of people start things for business reasons or personal reasons in terms of like challenging themselves, which is all great, but I did it because it was something I needed to work on with podcasting being vulnerable, like growing up. And that's where Instagram, love it or hate it, has helped me a lot writing and being vulnerable and opening up. I believe that I was sick. So I have celiac disease. And I believe that I suffered my entire life solely because I didn't know how to communicate what I was going through. And I don't want other people to have to deal with that. I felt inferior. I felt depressed, anxious all the time. And I could not communicate it because one, I didn't understand myself enough. You're taught to just be good at sports, get good grades, do all these things that you're like, do, do I even care about any of this? And I wanted to speak that. And the podcast really started as like, I wanted to start talking about those things. But most importantly, I wanted to invite guests on that could tell the audience, just like you told the women, like, you can do these things. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And that's the funny thing being here in Austin, welcome to Austin, Texas. When I got here, I felt like I could do anything because of the people that I was around. And then I started realizing, well, wow, when you're around people that really lift you up and tell you that you can do things, you feel a lot better than when I grew up on the East Coast, when it's just like you have an idea and everyone shits on your idea. And then you become a recluse and you never want to open up at all. And I think all of us are really just trying to break down that trauma of reclusing all the feelings that we've had our entire life, whether you're a male or whether you're female. And that's really where the recovery modalities have, have helped me a lot is so much more on the mental side. So one, I just want to honor you for thinking of me when I spoke in public there, because that has been practice. It is like that day I didn't even show up with notes. I didn't, I didn't think about it. I thought about the topic, but then what most people don't see is they don't know 10 years ago. Like I, I was scared to get in front of anyone. And I know talk. you said that. And I thought, but why, right? This is the thing that we get to see about other people that's so beautiful. It's like all the time. What's the holdback? Emily Fletcher, who's a woman who runs Ziva Meditation, who has been on my podcast and is just a beautiful soul and a friend. She says quite often to me, like, dare to suck, you know? And I think dare to suck is great because we're talking a lot about community and communication, which two, just the tenets of life, in my opinion. But like Emily saying dare to suck it's just like a funny way of, of being like, how do you show up in the fullest expression of the thing you want to do? And we all know at this point, the best learnings come from failures. None of us want to fail, but we have, if we have a little failure moment or a little trip over words or a little bit like I'm a little lonely or afraid or I have imposter syndrome, it's like, fuck it, just show up and dare to suck, right? And the other thing I like to couple that with is something that Mike Polano from ARX reminded me that Gabby says all the time, Gabby Reese, which is like, go first. So if you show up with dare to suck and go first, you can take a lot of what you want to share about yourself and vulnerability and put it on the table in a way that other people will mirror that. That's what you're doing. I mean, this is why we nerd out about all this stuff. Hey guys, what's going to be your holdback in 2022? Which is a beautiful reversal of what most people do, right? We're like, New Year's resolution, or I'm going to do this differently. And it's like, no, what's your holdback? And email yourself. 
Let's not speak it out loud as a reminder out in the areas that we have challenges, but let's write a hold the list of the holdbacks that we have so that we can look back at it and be like, oh, still doing that thing. Still got that pattern. Okay, let me just remind myself that I knew that a year ago or I knew that a month ago. And that's like a beautiful spin on it because if we start to clear away the holdbacks and we dare to suck more and we go first more, this is like, to me, this is a lot about what Austin is. It's like, how do you show up here and say, okay, I'm going to say hello and shake the hand and do whatever. And like one night it went out here and I wore a dress for the first time and the zipper wasn't all the way zipped up because I live on my own. And I had to be like, ask the first person I saw at the party to zip me up in the back of my dress. It's like, just go first, show up. Like this is reality. Like we all, we all can love each other more by knowing like we're kind of vulnerable and we're kind of all the same, you know? Wow. A lot to unpack there. <laughs> I, know, um, I know. I love it. It's, it's, I, I feel like we could talk for hours. Um, I know. I what do we, the, what the do we thing, not cover though that you want to cover? The thing that, that you talked about there with the, what is holding you back. I think I want to dive in just a second there because those the listening weren't at the talk. I literally just prompted everybody to write down and I use the thrive acronym, time, health, relationships, income, vision, experiences, and like what has held you back in the past from achieving the goals that you had in those areas of your life. And the reason that I came to the conclusion that that would be helpful to others is because that's how I kind of go about things. But it was stumbled upon based on podcasting, writing, Instagram, blogging. And when you put a lot of content out, you can reflect back, obviously. And when I reflect back, I'm like, wow, I did really great there and really bad there a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. And Aaron does the same thing. It allows us to almost relax because Life is so fast now. Again, that's what I was trying to get everybody out of. Don't look ahead. Like, don't look ahead to the next month, year, five years. Look back and you'll start realizing like, wow, like you've accomplished some really cool things. You've also inhibited yourself from accomplishing some really cool things. That makes you human. So for this year, if you can continuously reflect, really your perfect days, and I've said this a million times on this podcast, is just culmination of perfect days. And the way you determine a perfect day is you reflect back on what wasn't a perfect day because you felt that anxiety or that stress and you're like, oh, that's not for me. But if you don't try anything, you never know what that perfect day is. So I just wanted to, to point that out. But in terms of the rest of this episode, so one of the missions of this podcast is to really help the audience connect with the guest. So we haven't really talked about this much on this episode just yet, but I want to give you the floor and the space to talk a little bit about your brand and your business and what it is that you do for your clients, who it is, what type of client is it, and why do you do it in the first place? So my business is called Warrior Woman Mode. I also run a podcast called Well Power, which is like willpower, but W-E-L-L. And I do a lot of breath and cold exposure around Austin, a little bit online for both men and women. That's just a byproduct, I think, of doing so much breath and cold. I predominantly work with females. I think a lot of that stems from the work is to transform them from the edge of burnout to a place of them being resilient AF. Like that's really the end game is like, how do I make you be higher performing? How do I, a lot of women come to me for weight loss. I hate that term. What we're really typically learning how to do or wanting to do is recomposition the body or have fat loss, right? And understanding 
musculature and the body and nutrition and fitness and all of that is a really important key in that arena. And then biohacking. So many of the women that work with me will call me their biohacking coach, which is like the way we shift. We use modern technology and ancient practices to shift our cellular health and our body, brain and being to being better than ever before, healthier than ever before. And so that's the elevator pitch of what I do. But I think what essentially this all stemmed from and the, my mission in life and why I say this is my peak expression of how I show up in the world is I spent a lot of time working my first few corporate jobs when I was in corporate America before I left. I spent a lot of time being the only woman in the room. My very first job was me and 18 men. And my boss, um, with good intention, got up in front of the room, put, brought me in front of the room and said, this is Kristen. She's a woman. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> please treat her like your sister. And I want to make sure you're on your best behavior and no cursing. And we're not doing any more strip club trips for the guys. And so what he actually did, right, was flip the script. And instead of making me feel welcome, the guys were sort of like, oh, this outsider is now here ruining the fun. Behooves to say that I was working in um, alcohol, spirits and beverage. So it was like a very big party party back in the day then. So that was the start. And then the second thing I learned very quickly was that men communicate in the business world in a very different way than females do. And so, of course, I was like raised as a woman and in a female environment a lot. And then I went to corporate America and I felt like I learned a lot. I had some very good bosses and some bosses that I learned what I never wanted to be like as a manager, a boss or a director. Later on, I went to do that. And the long story short is I had to re-regulate the way that I communicate so much so that later on when I went on to direct and manage and have my own teams nationally and be running really high level programs at a high level production VP standpoint, I would have women who worked for me who would come to me during their review and they may get a glowing review for me. And I would say at the end, they would say to me, can I ask you a question? And I'd say, yeah. And they'd say, do you like me? And like that to me was a, an over course correction. Like I course corrected too far in one direction because I knew and still know this is a thing that I'm working on right now. I know how to bro down. I know how to do communication with males really well. It's like, even when the other day when I'm at the sauna, I'm like, I want to bond with the women. I'm learning still how to communicate with women well. And who do I end up in the sauna with? The last six people that are in there, it's like dudes and me. And I'm like, this comes from my early career. And the point of all this is just to say that I, I worked with all these men so much that I felt what it was like to be a woman outnumbered. And then I started looking at science and research and coaches and CrossFit and training and physical fitness and nutrition and saying, there's not enough research on women out there in the world that exists, the people that are doing it are not showcasing what's going on, like how we can work with our period and our cycle and our monthly hormone cycle to actually gain efficiencies and be more effective at training, how we can work with food, how we can work in the work world and how we can work and support each other. And so I very quickly decided as I came into this iteration of myself, which is coaching women into their optimal health and well-being that I needed to do this. And it's a, it's continually a lesson and the work for me over the years, getting better and better communicating with women and inspiring them to change, inspiring them to shift and inspiring them to be able to communicate in any realm. And the most important realm being with themselves, really understanding how powerful and beautiful, and I don't mean aesthetically, just deeply beautiful they are as a unique individual on the planet. So how do we take like the science that, that has been missing and it also has been out there and not talked about? How do we take the way we show up in the world, right? Which if you go back to my corporate days, women were just cutting each other down to try to get ahead. And how do we learn how to communicate better? Because if we can bond together in community and communicate with each other about the things that existed in the research world and the, in the literature, we can all get better faster. 
I'll work one-on-one. I have a one-on-one program where I work with women one-on-one for 12 weeks. We talk every day on text. And I have a program that's a group program that's called Wow Factor, which is only physiological females. Women optimizing wellness is what Wow stands for. And those programs are designed so I can work with a woman in either a group environment or a one-on-one coaching situation. And my ultimate goal is I'm going to work with Josephina or whoever I work with. And that woman is going to shift her entire life and have a big transformation. But at the end of it, she's also going to be able to go to her circle of female friends and say, yo, I'm doing this. And I tried this and I did this and I did this other thing. And it's not always about coming back and working with Kristen. It's about giving enough education that they actually can be sovereign, that we as women can be sovereign to say, I'm going to make my decision. I'm going to know how I like to eat. I'm going to know what works for my body on this end of one experiment. I'm going to be able to do this as quickly as possible. Because if we leave it up to one woman sitting in a room on Google, a medical website, there's just too much data out there that's contradictory. And so how do we as females cut through the bullshit and find someone who's aggregated the data? That's all I've spent my life doing. Getting certifications and cutting through the bullshit and applying it to my body with a million fails and applying it to clients with not too many fails and course correcting where need be. And I think all of that stemmed out of this really interesting scenario, this laboratory where I was like a lone woman in this group of males. And this is the last thing I want to say is it's never a conversation about men versus women for me. Like I, I love men just as much as I love women, you know, but there is a gap in the research. There is a gap in the coaching structure of the world and how we can help women be their very best selves and in their very best health. And so for me, that's like, that's the damn dream. I think it's, I, I always look at root cause. So it's, you're mentioning the lack of research and lack of data. And I think society as a whole forgets how fast the last 50 years have gone. Meaning if you were 50 years ago, if you were a woman 50 years ago, your life looked astronomically different. Like your career path, your day-to-day, what you were doing. Males generally not so much. So I think the thing that we lack is we were raised on this one set way of doing things, which in my eyes is completely wrong. We're both equal human beings. Obviously, in some circumstances, like women birth children, men do not. So in terms of like what companies should be doing for women and what companies should be doing for men, maybe a little bit different in terms of that scenario. But capability, intelligence, equal. And we're coming to terms with that. I think in the late, in the past 10 years, especially you start seeing in data like college and how many women are going for advanced degrees versus men. It's actually starting to shift where women are taking over. So I'm interested to see like the next 20 years and what that data looks like because of people like yourself who are really spearheading this movement of getting communities of women to get outside of their comfort zone and really, if the system's not going to do it, get the data and and learn and change, then how do we do it from within? And for someone who's married, like that's highly intriguing to me because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as Erin is. Like I want her to be her healthiest, happiest self. And we've run into the same issues because when it's time for her to go search for things and research there's a lot more questions that get involved, such as when is the right time of month for women to be in the ice bath? That's one of the questions that she wanted. Yeah, I get that question today. so much. There's two interesting points. First, the first quick point is 
you know, in the last 50 years too, it's just changed. But 50 years ago, the FDA had done a ban just slightly before that, researching any women in any like double blind studies, et cetera, in their reproductive years, which is interesting to me because you just chunked out 40 years of women from research. So this is also to say Ben Greenfield, Dave Asprey, people are doing research and wanting to be progressive and innovative. They go back and they're like, I'm trying to pull research is not a lot, right? So there's, there is some of it that's just missing gap of data. The ice bath piece and the, the women, number one, women should be tracking their cycle. You could be perimenopausal or menopausal. Great. You're going to have a little more affinity to do ice more frequently because you're adrenals are taking over, your hormones are sort of normalizing in a way that's a slightly more like a man. It's just how it goes. And during our reproductive years, we have a very different hormonal landscape. And so more than saying when you shouldn't get into the ice, because I don't love that should thing, I'm conservative. I think women don't need to get in the ice every day. I think, you know, you and I have had this conversation a little bit that maybe men don't either, but men can tolerate daily ice plunges much more easily and much better, it seems like physiologically than females. But I think that there's no reason for a woman to get in the ice every single day unless you're doing it as some kind of competitive sport. And so getting in the cold two to three times a week is sufficient. And I would like to encourage women to do that. Ice reduces inflammation, the times that you're feeling bloated, times that you're not feeling great. We have to do a check-in, like using our intuition and what we think is actually going on in our body from all these stats and things that we're reading in our trackers. But understanding what our, our stress load is like for that day. If you're on the brink of tears because you had such a long day and you've got no sleep and you've got all this stuff, it might not be the optimal time to go in the ice. I also want to address to females out there that are dealing with like endometriosis and various different autoimmune conditions that most doctors, and again, I am not a medical doctor, but most doctors would say, probably not a good idea to get in the ice. And we're seeing anecdotally, there's a couple other women that are high up in the ice bath coaching world. We're seeing anecdotally over and over and over and over again, people and women who are saying, well, my doctor said maybe this isn't a great idea, but I'm on my last leg. Like I can't manage this. It's the last straw I need. To, I'll try anything. They're making that choice for themselves to try ice baths, not using the word cure, but they are mitigating massively and changing the game on the way that that autoimmune shows up in their body. And in some cases, eradicating it totally. Now, whether you want to call that curing or not is not for me to say, but working with all of those things, it's an important piece of the puzzle to get in cold. And I think two to three times a week, if you have access to it, awesome. If that's a cold shower to start, awesome. But ice and submersion, cold water immersion, CWI, sometimes we say, is a very good vehicle for that. The other challenge that comes with this question is, ice bath research is all over the place. Temperature, if it's a moving river, if it's cold ice cubes, if it's chilled water, like how you get in, like what age is the person, what's their, you know, what's their current state, what's their dis-ease level, what, all of these things, right? So it's a really hard thing to peel back. I like to talk about getting in and trying at least two minutes at the first, you know, in your ice bath, like shooting for at least that. And probably not, the sweet spot seems to be, and this is still, again, research is wide, um, around six minutes. I also am a big fan of potentiating a workout by doing ice prior to a workout, not post, right? We haven't talked about, but there's a lot of research around like stunting mTOR and muscle development and all these things when you're trying to go for hypertrophy. All those are nerdy science terms. Just saying, go in the ice before you work out and see what that does for you. Ladies, yes, and men, you want to boost. It's like the second most research thing besides how to regrow my hair is like, how do I boost my testosterone? You boost your testosterone levels insanely by going in the ice beforehand. Again, I just talked to like um, Mike T. Nelson about this, who's like, reads a lot of the research, much nerdier than I am in a, in a good way. 
and it's like six, eight minutes before, you know, two rounds, whatever it is, just don't get the inner belly of the muscle cold because then you lose power when you go to do your workout, right? And you're regulating your temperature for a few minutes before you get on any, any gear post ice bath. So all of that is important because women aren't going to think they want to ice bath before a workout. Why would I do that? And, you know, also using some intuition, I think is the other piece of this puzzle understanding that sometimes we say, we, I don't think my intuition is telling me I should have these chocolate chip cookies and not get in the ice bath today. But that's not really your intuition, right? That's your default mode mechanism. That's like, I want to do what's comfortable. And so we have to decide for ourselves as, you know, independent sovereign beings, what, especially females, like what, what's really happening here? What's going on below the surface? Is this an emotional trigger or is this real? Is my intuition according to what's actually going on in me? Or am I just, is this like a brat moment or a fear moment. And so how we tackle the ice is really around that piece, right? And that's like not an easy answer. I wish I could just be like Mondays and Fridays within the whatever, but it's like, this is the moment. Just working with our cycle is so important. Come to Wellpower and listen to my podcast on eating and training with your cycle. It's just, we don't have the time to rabbit hole into that today, but there's just, there's hundreds of studies since the eighties that talk about when we have the most muscle building capacity I'm about to pop into a 10-week protocol where if you follow me on social at Warrior Woman Mode, that's a 10-week protocol of ice and using ARX as my only strength training, adaptive resistance exercise to be able to see if I can build muscle capacity and lose some body fat and all of that. And I'm pretty fit, right? This is not an ego thing. This is just, I'm pretty fit. If I can shape shift my body even slightly, it means any woman that's out there can make those changes by using ice, by using targeted around the right parts of your cycle, strength and resistance training. And so we have to be doing that. We got to be talking about it. I can't sit in another room of a hundred women in LA or New York or overseas and have the conversation where I'm like, you know that there's 10 days of your cycle, you can build 33% more muscle in your body than the rest of the entire month. And women going, what are you talking about? I don't even know what day of my cycle it is. You know, we, we have to do a better job of that. Because if you knew that 10 days a month you trained at the gym would be the best strength building days, we would be like the thrive on life, 10 days to muscle madness. You know, we'd be have that, we'd have that program. Yeah, I want that for women. I love what the female energy brings to the world. I spent a lot of years not being soft enough. And I don't mean soft in a way that is derogatory. I mean soft and feminine and sweet and open and able to like love up on people and have big conversations with you and think, I'm going to talk this guy's ear off, but I just love him. And I love everything you bring to the world and the way that you want to heal others and the way you want to get people off their meds and everything you show up with is just why I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Like just Welcome to Austin. let's do this. Let's go. <laughs> I have one last question for you. That was so, this is going to be awesome to chop up afterwards, but I have one last question and it piqued my interest just now because I do know that like cortisol levels for men and women are different throughout the different times of the day. Does time of day matter that much when you get in the ice? The ice gives you a couple different benefits and a lot of people get in in the morning and they're like, it's a way to kickstart my day. And that's awesome. I think you got to know your body. Like it's always, it's always the first thing I say. It's like, well, this is an end of one. Everybody's a slightly different. And yet women's cortisol is, is definitely different. If you're looking at like your HPA axis and your cortisol is fried and you're on the edge of burnout, it's like, well, I want to utilize the cortisol that I do get to the best of my ability. And I really want to be using ice for recovery. And so for me, when I really want to target recovery, I'm doing two things. I'm keeping it away from my fitness training. I'm also not beating myself up on 42 cardio workouts a week when my cortisol is off the charts. I'm putting it on a rest day and I'm typically doing it at sunset. And that is, I want to ice at the end of the day to start to 
have that parasympathetic rebound when I get out and set myself up for sleep, which is exactly what you're doing. You're calming your nervous system state. I put some breath work in after the ice. I can unwind. I turn all the lights in my house red and it helps me really set up for a good night of sleep. I notice when I'm icing at sunset, I get more deep sleep like by up to an hour and that's a big deal. And so I'll notice like REM differences, HRV differences, but for me, deep sleep is the thing that I crave because it's where I, I fall short and the ice helps a lot. So that's what I would say, um, my experience, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned deep sleep because when I started wearing the Aura and the Whoop, I was first looking at HRV, like they always promote. But I started recognizing that if I, tra like I trained really hard two days in a row, my HRV dropped, but my deep sleep hasn't. And that's more of the trigger of, and I feel great. Like mentally I'm there, the days when I'm mentally not there, it has less to do with my HRV and more to do with my deep sleep for my brain. Now, I've noticed when I'm sore, like I'm sore right now, my HRV baseline is lower. My body's in recovery. But that doesn't mean that my brain, deep sleep, like basically is like recharging your brain and its ability to not have that fog so you're clear and make good decisions, I crave that even more than the workouts. I just want to feel good and be able to think clear every day. So I love that you brought up the deep sleep. Unfortunately, we are over time and I'm excited because I definitely want to do around two of this later this year because uh, I'd love to dive into more of what it actually looks like in what you're doing and then also chatting a little bit more in depth about time of month, training, nutrition, all the other stuff that I know that you can be valuable with to this audience. To end, we always end in the same way. If the audience loved what you were putting out today and they'd love to get in contact with you, what's the best way? The best way is Instagram. It's where all the fun stuff is at Warrior Woman Mode. You can find me there. People send me DMs all the time. I'm warriorwomanmode.com. So all of that is sort of lives in that, in that umbrella. Thanks so much for having me and um, for helping me share with females, especially that we are equally as powerful as we are sensitive. And that's important. A hundred percent. Thank you for coming on the show. Last question that I put everybody on the spot with, what is thriving to you? So if I mention the word thriving, when you have a gut reaction, I, my gut reaction is that um, thriving is like showing the world that like all of the colors that you bring to the table, because it's like, I don't even know, I saw it on some wacky episode of some show or something, but like that someone has a quote about, you show up with all of your colors and the world needs to adjust to you, you know? And I think that especially, I want to say that I feel that more with females than males, but I think it's true for everyone. If you really want to thrive, you bring every color in your Crayola box and you paint with it. And then people that are like-minded and love that about you are going are gonna to be in your community and the others can go find their other communities. I love that because we're so taught to be the chameleon, to just adapt to everybody else and do what everybody else thinks. And I love how you're talking about bringing your fullest authentic self into that. I hope that's what everybody listening to this got from this episode. I just want to thank you so much for spending this time with me. I am blessed and grateful. And at the end of every episode, I always use my biggest takeaway to kind of riff for 30 seconds here. And today it was pretty obvious. I love that you use the phrase N equals one. And I don't think a lot of people understand truly what that means. So if you're listening to this right now, go look up what that means. But essentially what that means is you are an individual in this world of over 7 billion people. So anything that we were talking about today 
it might be a little bit different for you. But what we're trying to challenge you to do is go out and seek other people like Kristen who can guide you into finding what does it mean to be your best self? What does it mean to be your healthiest self? And to get to that point, you might have to do some challenging things like getting in 32 degree ice, right? So look at yourself as the individual, look at yourself as powerful and look at yourself as if you can adapt to anything that comes to you in life. That is what it's all about. That's what thriving is, showing up in all of your colors and adapting to whatever the world throws at you to live your happiest and healthiest self. As always, the best way that you can help this podcast is to save and share it, leave a review. Especially, I'd love for you to share this one because we're talking about ice and recovery methodologies. Anyone out there that you think could learn from this and learn from Kristen, please, please, please share it with them. This world needs us all to be healthier more now than ever. So until next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.